All right, how are we doing? Still doing okay? After, after a few minutes of discussion? Better, right? Are we not designed for fellowship? Did God not design us for fellowship? I think he did. Even the most analytical ivory tower temperament still needs fellowship, amen? All right, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for your incredible love for us. Jesus, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God. I pray that you open the ears of our mind, that you would expand our vision this morning. God, that you would help us to see beyond our, our pitiful little dreams, God, and, and, and what this world continues to just scream at us is so important, but that is just so unimportant, Lord. And help us to see what really has the weight of glory, Father, what really is worth living for in this life. God, I pray that you would bring us all back to the depths of, of really what that means. In your son's name, amen. All right, so we are continuing our series in Isaiah. The title for the message this morning is Having It All. So, Robert, while you've been away, we've gone to a full, what do they call it? prosperity gospel, <laughs> all right? It's like if you come to Christ, you can have the top-line Lexus, and you can put your little not-of-this-world sticker on your top-line Lexus sedan, right? Because Jesus loves you, right? And he wants to give you good things. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Amen. All right, well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe there's some qualifiers to that. So having it all, it can, it can mean so many different things. And what is all? What is all of it? I think often our definition, when we think of, well, I could have it all, it's actually pretty, pretty narrow, pretty, pretty weak. I love, it's a classic C.S. Lewis quote, very, very popular quote. I love this quote of his. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that true? That's such a profound, deep quote. All right, with that, let's go for it. Let's go. We're in Isaiah chapter 23. We're continuing these oracles that God is speaking about not only to Judah and Israel, but to Judah and Israel's neighbors. And it's interesting because we tend to, you know, when we study the Bible a lot, we tend to start thinking about all that was going on in the ancient Near East was happening in Palestine, you know, but, but what was happening in Palestine was happening in the larger context of the Near East and the larger context of the whole Mediterranean area, right? So as we go through these oracles of all these neighboring countries, it's kind of interesting to see what's going on and that God has a vision that goes beyond Jerusalem, right? He's aware of what's going on all around the world and he has a vision and he has a purpose that is global, worldwide. So this morning, the country is, it's actually a, Little, it's a city-state called Tyre, and the background on Tyre is Tyre is this port city right on the coast of what is now modern-day Israel, modern-day Palestine, right on the coast, 
and it was the trading capital of the Mediterranean Ocean really for a long period of time, right up until Alexander the Great came along and besieged it and, and wiped it out. But they, then they even recovered from that. So it is an incredible center of trade. They're the, the, the merchant marine superpower of the ancient world, okay? They are ocean-going traders. That's who Tyre is. So this is the oracle concerning Tyre. Isaiah chapter, three, uh, chapter 23, starting in verse 1. The oracle concerning Tyre, whale, O ships of Tarshish. That's like right away out of the gate, uh-oh, right? For Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you. And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Shehor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. So Tyre is the merchant of the nations. Tyre is the marketplace for all the nations, okay? Tyre is the trading capital that is trading with Egypt and the, the rest of the Fertile Crescent right up into Babylon, Assyria and Babylon. They're trading with Greece. They're even trading with Spain, with North Africa, Carthage. They even get out, out beyond the Straits of Gibraltar and are trading with, with cities in West Africa. So these guys are nautical traders, okay? And they are about to face some tough times. They're about to face some hard times. And when you're an international trader, when you face hard times, guess what? A lot of the other people are going to face hard times, right? Verse 5, when the report came to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, whale inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? So Egypt is going to be wailing because they've lost their big trading partner of Tyre. Tyre is like the conduit. Egypt can trade their grain. They're like the breadbasket of the Mediterranean. Huge stocks of corn, and they could trade that with Syria and Babylonia through Tyre. So this is a huge deal that Tyre is going to suffer Verse 11, he has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its stronghold. All right, so the Lord is going to discipline. The Lord is, going to, is really going to do some judgment on Tyre. Verse 12, and he said, you, you will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughters of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. So Sidon is part of this Phoenician region. So Tyre is a city-state that belongs to the general people group of Phoenicia, who are, again, great nautical traders, and they, God is about to discipline them. Why is he going to discipline them? Verse 13, behold the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Okay, so what's happening here is God is going to use countries from the Fertile Crescent, namely Assyria and actually Babylon, to come and lay siege to Tyre. And that actually happens. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, come and lay siege to old Tyre. There's an old Tyre and a new Tyre. 
a little bit of a history lesson this morning, but we'll get through it, okay? And then we'll get to some, some point, what this means for us in our current age. But so the king of Babylon comes, lays siege to Tyre, just wipes the city out, okay? And, and so that's what's being described here. Let's just continue on in verse 14. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute, make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. Okay, so what's going on here? Babylon's going to come and lay siege, Nebuchadnezzar is going to wipe them out, and then they're going to be destitute for 70 years, okay? Which, and it mentions for the life of a king, and really what that's referencing is the life of the dynasty in Babylon, okay? So for 70 years, there's a dynasty in Babylon that starts with Nebuchadnezzar and ends with that third Babylonian king, Bashal, help me out, Bashal, Bashazer. Bashal, I can never pronounce it. That one. Say it again. Bill Shazar, thank you. Thank you. My resident scholar in the front pew. <laughs> so they're going to be oppressed during this time. And why are, there, why are they being oppressed? I kind of skipped over it, so I'm going to go back to it. Why is God bringing this judgment? Why is he oppressing them? Go back to verse 8. Who has purposed this against Tyre? the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth. Who's purposing against this great trading country? Who's purposing it? This country, this country is actually a kingmaker. They don't have a huge landmass territory, but because they use the ocean so well, they're very powerful. One commentator mentioned that the Phoenicians or, or Tyre itself is like a nautical Babylon, right? They don't have this big territory that Babylon had, but they pretty much own the Mediterranean because they were so effective in their seamanship, okay? So they are kingmakers, but who's gonna bring them down? Who, is, who has the power to bring the kingmaker down? Verse nine, the Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. So God is going to bring them down. And why is he bringing them down? Because they've become proud, right? There's one thing in the Bible that God over and over and over again speaks against. It's what? Pride, right? It's really human pride. And why is God so up against human pride? Why is that such a big problem? And I think part of the answer to that question is because human pride denies the power, the glory, the blessing that we have in the Lord. It's an attempt for us to find our own glory, our own power, our own blessing, and our own strength apart from the Lord, which is really the essential core element of idolatry, is it not? Right? Idolatry ultimately is, I'm going to do it my way. I did it my way, right? So the song goes. And I'm going to do it with my power, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, in the order that I want to get it, and that way I have control. And if I have control, then I can maximize my joy, right? But who is the source of all joy, right? What did King David say? He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's the Lord's joy. That is the ultimate source of our love, of our joy, of our blessing. 
And human pride just negates that, just gets in the way of that. It robs us from walking in the joy of the Lord. So it's not that God is this big meanie, you know, and he just wants to end the party at Tyre. But he understands that Tyre is missing it. Tyre has traded the weight of glory for the temporal lightness of just being a merchant. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who's the nautical merchant superpower of the world today? Right. What is that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the North America is very well situated to be the nautical merchant of the modern world, is it not? I mean, we're actually very blessed. We can trade with Europe on this side, and we can trade, I'll do it mirror, trade with Europe on this side and Asia on this side, right? We got Long Beach Harbor and all the harbors on the East Coast. It's interesting because haven't we, the whole idea of starting really with, not starting with him, but really sort of maximized with the Clinton presidency, the idea of globalization. You know, and America has experienced an unprecedented sustained economic growth. I mean, we've had some hiccups. We had the big, the big deal with the crash in the real estate market. Those are hiccups. But overall, we've had this long-term sustained economic prosperity because we've been focused on trade and focused on building trading partners, globalization. And that's a blessing to, to be prosperous in that way. But is that the ultimate thing? Is that the source of our joy? Is that going to ultimately fulfill us? So Tyre is going to be disciplined. Tyre is going to be taught this lesson over the course of 70 years. And then at the end of the 70 years, verse 17 says, at the end of the 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Okay, when it says the Lord will visit Tyre, the idea here, the sense of it is that God visits in a merciful way, okay? They've already had seven years of being sieged by Babylon, by losing their, their city. They actually wind up abandoning that city and building a new city off the coast on an island to have more protection, right? So they've already been under the discipline of the Lord, and now the Lord comes to visit them in mercy and to restore them. However, they continue to do what they've always done and what they know, right, which is to be traders, to be merchants, and to trade at no, at, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, if you've got something to trade, I'm going to trade with you. It doesn't matter what your ethics are, it doesn't matter what you stand for, it doesn't matter what it might, how it might compromise us, we're just going to trade with you because it's economically profitable, right? And does not not describe our own country in a way, you know? I mean, when, you, when we're going to be going into another presidential election season, what are they going to talk about? I mean, they'll have their own, you know, each party has their own particular planks, but what it always ultimately focuses in on is what? The economy, right? What's the famous quote? It's the economy, stupid. Right? Not my word, I'm just quoting, okay? <laughs> but it's about the economy. That's like the ultimate thing. Whatever we do, let's not mess with the economy. Let's make sure that we protect the economy. That's job number one. That's essential. That's critical. But notice the language here. God continues to describe Tyre as a prostitute. Why? Because it's that idea that you're willing to sleep with anybody 
do anything with anybody as long as it's profitable. Right? And in a way, I mean, you think about our modern trade today, and it's part of what kind of the discussion, some of the dynamics that's going on in the political world today, we've, been, we've made China the trading partner, have we not? I mean, pretty much most of everything that you're buying right now is manufactured in China. And this is a country that doesn't have the best human rights record in the world, right? Who persecutes Christians, who puts Christians in prison, yada, 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 I mean, the list goes on. But hey, it's globalization, we can make a buck, we can keep the economy going, it's strong, right? At what point do you draw a line in there? I don't know, it's a tough situation, it's a tough deal. But I think the essential thing, and the thing I wanna really take the rest of our time to focus in on, is first idea that the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's merciful even to sinners, even to those who are in rebellion. The Lord visits Tyre and he restores them. Even though they use that restoration to continue in their economic prostitution, he's merciful and gracious. I want to read from Luke chapter 6. And this is Jesus on his part of his great Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Catch this. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know what? Fallen, broken people are not our enemy. Sinners are not our enemy, right? They may be captive to our enemy. They may be serving our enemy. But they themselves are not our enemy. And God is kind and merciful to them. Maybe we should be kind and merciful to them as well. God visits the city that he has disciplined with grace and mercy and, and gives them a, a period of restoration. It's interesting, God in the flesh actually visits this region in Matthew 15. I'm going to take a look at that real quick. This is Jesus again, and he's out traveling around the countryside with his disciples. Matthew 15, verse 21, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman. Okay, so Canaanite women, Phoenician. They're, they're interchangeable. Same group of people, same tribe. A Canaanite woman from the, that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Okay, that doesn't seem like a very warm reception, right? The disciples are like, Get her away. She's bugging us, and Jesus is not even answering her question. Right? It seems kind of harsh. But catch the rest of this verse. Verse 20, 24. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, that sounds pretty harsh, right? 
But what Jesus is saying here is, look, I've come, my primary mission is to visit God's own people, the children of Israel. That's my primary mission. I'm here to visit my own people, God's people, and to deliver this good news, this gospel to my people. Later on, of course, what does Jesus do? What does he say to his disciples as he's about to ascend into heaven? He says, go, therefore, and preach to all nations. Make disciples of all nations, right? So our job is to preach and share to all nations. But his mission at that moment was not to reach out to the Canaanites, right? His mission was to reach his own people. In spite of that, what does Jesus do? Or what does she say? She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So Jesus is being very gracious there. Even though it's off mission, he's being very gracious to this Canaanite woman. Later on, the Apostle Paul visits, actually the second city of Tyre, visits that city and meets a bunch of other disciples there. And they have fellowship together for seven days. And they all go see Paul off, them and all. They bring all their whole family out and they go see him off at the port. Right? So God is visiting these people, even as they are lost, many of them are lost, even though economic gain is their prime motive. God is visiting, reaching out to them, speaking a different message to them. And, and what is that message? Let's continue in this passage in Isaiah, verse 18. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing to those who dwell before the Lord. So the second principle is, it all belongs to the Lord. All this wealth belongs to the Lord. And God uses even sinners and sinner nations, sinner nation states to generate wealth. And what does he do with that wealth? He doesn't let it just sit there. He doesn't let it just sit in the coffers of Tyre. He spins it. God is a big spender. He loves to spend, and he spends it on those who dwell before the Lord, meaning those who are aware of him, those who live their lives before him, those who have come to know him through Christ, those who have confessed their sins and asked for his forgiveness and have been established him. The Lord spends it on those. Does that mean we should all drive around in the, the highest in Tesla? That would be my vote, by the way. My pick is a Tesla. We're going there. Is that what the Lord's saying? We should have it all? And this is the point. A Tesla is not all. A Tesla is not going to fulfill all your greatest dreams, even though if that is your dream, as C.S. Lewis says, God has much bigger dreams for us. He has much deeper, richer dreams for us. I wanted to share this verse out of Philippians. Paul's talking about, you know what? Being wealthy or not wealthy, it's very circumstantial, right? It comes and it goes. For Tyre, it came and then it went and then it came back again and then it went again later when Alexander Great wiped him out a second time, right? It comes and it goes. But Paul's attitude with that is great. In Philippians 4, verse 11, it says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situa situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So for Paul, it's not about the circumstance. It's not about how much 
you have now or how much you don't have now. It's about, I have the Lord. If I have the Lord, I do have it all. Think about this. He's the creator of the universe, right? Scripture says that the creation was made through Jesus and for Jesus, right? So if you have Jesus, if you belong to him, and Jesus' prime motive is love, what does that mean? Does that mean that maybe you kind of have it all, right? And maybe what you don't have or what you think you need that you don't have right now, God's using to build character in your life, to give you something even more joyful, even greater, even a deeper blessing, greater character, right? Greater capacity to understand the depths of God's love and provision in your life. And of course, haven't we talked about heaven yet, right? If you look at this verse, Haggai 2.6, it's quoted often. You can find this on coffee mugs. We like these kinds of verses. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. It's a lot of Lord of hosts right there, right? Who's doing all this? God, the Lord of hosts. He owns it all. And he lends it out to all these nation states to use it to his glory. And at the end, he gathers it all back in. Revelations talks, talks about all the, na- all the wealth of the nations coming into the new Jerusalem, which we all will partake in, those of us who claim Christ as our Lord and Savior. Right? I don't know how much greater definition of having it all there is. That is having it all in Christ, even though we may suffer for a short time. Paul says, I won't compare that the suffering of this lightweight and temporal suffering to this eternal weight of glory you cannot compare the two. We have the eternal weight of glory. So what do we do with that? Notice that God spends it. He spends it on those who live before the Lord. I wonder how generous we are, how generous we would be if we understood how much we have in Christ. You know? Here's a principle, it's not mine, I didn't think of, it, of this. I heard it before, but I think this is a very strong principle. You won't see it on the screen, so get ready to remember it or write it down, okay? Ready? Here's a principle. You're gonna either use things to love people, okay? Or you're gonna use people to love things. Which is it? Do you use people to just get the things you want because you love things? Or do you use your things, the material wealth, whatever God has given you, your house, your car, whatever, to use it just as a tool to love people? I'm telling you, from the perspective of eternity, loving people has the richest, deepest possible return beyond anything you can ever imagine. Take that 401k, Maybe it will buy you a comfortable retirement. Maybe. Take that 401k and invest it in people. Right? 
you will have a return that keeps producing fruit throughout eternity in the new Jerusalem, in the new creation. Am I saying you should just go out right now, sell everything you have? Maybe. Jesus said that to the rich young ruler. You know, Jesus said, look, you know, follow the commandments of Moses. Do everything that the law requires. And the rich young ruler said, yeah, I've done that, Lord. And Jesus said, well, you lack one thing. Go and sell every single thing you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have eternal wealth. And what did he do? He went away very sorrowful because he was a very rich man. Does your material things own you or do you own them? Do you have control and power over it through the grace of God and the love of God to use it, spend it on eternal souls? Or are you going to hold, hoard it and protect it and keep it so that somehow you can find your joy and maximize your joy? God is all about maximizing your joy, but he does it in a very different way than the way the world trains us to do it, right? So here's the test. The test is, how well do you love a fallen and broken world? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? It's not wrong to plan for your retirement. It's not wrong to have a 401k. It's not wrong to save and to plan. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, what's your ultimate dream? What's your ultimate desire? You know what? Don and I, we were just talking yesterday. We've had our best friend pass away. Both our parents pass away. You know, I'm gone. 25 years, I'm, I'm guessing 25 years, Lord willing. I'm out of here, right? Don is out of here. We're out of here. No one's going to remember that I drove around in a little Honda Civic. My humble little Honda Civic, right? No one cares. But you take a moment to go over to your neighbor with a casserole and sit down and talk to him for a little bit. That might be the moment that they come to Christ or not. Maybe they'll come to Christ three years later. I don't know. But the little things matter. Those little things matter. You may be in the New Jerusalem one day, sitting there, having tea, you know, got plenty of time. And someone comes up to you and says, hey, you're... I know who you are. You're the person who brought a casserole over to my great-great-grandmother. And because you did that, boom, 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 all the way down to my life and how my life was used by the Lord and how I served the Lord, right? Those are the discussions that we're going to have in heaven. No one's going to be talking about their 401k. It's going to be like talking about, you know, wow, when I was five-year-olds, I had a piggy bank and I had three cents in it. Oh, cool, awesome. That's awesome, dude. What's really important? What's really valuable? I think over and over and over again, as you read scripture, as you look at the life of Christ, what's important, what's valuable is each one of us that are here right now. What's important and valuable is each one of those people that are driving by on Main Street right now. What's important is those people who are just going to hell in a handbasket and could care less. They're important to him. They're eternally important to him. And what kind of investment will we make? Will we use things? Will we use the things that God has given us to love people in small ways and great ways? It doesn't mean sell everything you have necessarily and buy an RV and take a tour around the country sharing the gospel. Or maybe it does. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. 
But the question is, oftentimes we use that extreme example to kind of not do anything. Are you willing to take one little thing, take one, make a little step, make a little change, cut against the grain of this culture and say, you know what, I'm gonna take this thing that I don't need anyway and go bless somebody with it and say, hey, you know what, God bless you. Do you know he loves you? We can make such a difference, huge difference that will echo through eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you that you love the city-state of Tyre enough to discipline them, to pull them down from their pride, to humble them, that they might be open to your visitation, that they might hear your gospel, even from Jesus himself as he traveled through the countryside with disciples. And even as the first apostles were going out, as Jesus had commanded them to, to share the gospel, to share the great wealth of your, of your salvation, Lord, your justification, the payment you made to ransom us from our wicked, broken hearts, Lord. Father, I pray that you would move in us as a people, God, this group of people, Father, that would be marked by generosity that is founded on the faith and belief that you have our back, God, that you will take care of us, that we can give it, we can spend it, we can be generous as you are generous, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.